We've been looking at really the question of who is Jesus, and we're coming to a close looking at this as, um, as the book ends, and last week uh, we got to the point in the story where Jesus dies, he is crucified uh, on the cross, and we talked about the significance of that as Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, and can't preach uh, that whole sermon again, but uh, it was a great one, so uh, you should go back and, uh, I really was, I, I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> I'm allowed to say that. Come on. So, it, uh, but we looked at Jesus dying on the cross, and today we look at uh, Jesus resurrecting. We look at Jesus uh, coming back to life. And as we as we read this um, as we read this part of the chapter, and we'll be in John uh, chapter 20. If you have a Bible, you can uh, you can grab uh, the one in front of you. If you don't, but um, as we look at this, I just want to kind of talk about what what's the significance of that for us today. The same way that last week we talked about what's the significance of the fact that Jesus died for us 2,000 years later. What, what significance is there for us? The same way with the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. What, what significance is there in that? What does it matter that Jesus is alive? What does it matter uh, that he resurrected? And maybe you don't even think about that much, or may, maybe you do, but, but what significance does it have that Jesus is alive? Do you think about that? Do you think about in your life that Jesus is alive? Because what we look at today, we'll see that there's some great significance to that. But, but that's the question I kind of just want to go into with this. That if you're a Christian or you're someone that is uh, exploring Jesus and Christianity and all that, you've heard that Jesus is alive uh, or know that very deeply. But really, what significance does that have? And we won't touch on every angle of that, but that's what we will look at uh, tonight. And we're actually going to do something uh, unique in this series that we have not done before, but we are not going to finish the whole chapter. So we've been doing a chapter a week, but 20, chapter 20 will be a two-part uh, sermon, just so you know. Um, so here, uh, here we go. Let's read chapter 20, or most of it. It says, Now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. So Mary goes to the tomb. She goes to the tomb and finds that it's empty. And she believes, man, someone took his body, grave robbers, something, something happened. Someone wanted to desecrate his body. Maybe people stole it for some reason. And she's kind of freaking out and goes to Peter and the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is uh, the author of this book, John, and goes to them and says, he's gone. What's going on? Man, I'm struggling with this thing today. Both of them were running. So the two disciples, Peter and John, both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It's kind of interesting detail. <laughs> he's writing the book. So he's like, I'm faster than Peter. <laughs> I don't, a lot of people have different ideas of why he put that in there. But I don't know. I mean, I think he was just like, yeah, remember that time I beat you, Peter? Um, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. So he runs to the tomb. He sees Jesus. 
Jesus' burial cloth laying there, but doesn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first... Just, as, just so you remember, also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So John is writing and saying that they didn't understand that in the scriptures it taught that the Messiah, who Jesus is, would raise from the dead. They didn't understand that. So this was confusing to them. But when they see this uh, empty tomb and they see the cloth, there's something in them that starts to believe that something has taken place. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away, whoa, what happened? Can we go? <laughs> okay, I don't know what's happening. I'll let you guys, let me, let me control it here. Uh, the batteries are fine. So let me just... Okay, go back. You control it. Go back. Go back. Go back. Okay, here we go. Sorry, guys. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Go for it for me. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. So he says her name, and then she recognizes him. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So she sees, she sees she, at first she doesn't totally recognize Jesus. Then when Jesus says her name, she recognizes who he is. And then she, she grabs him, as you would do to a friend that you love deeply. She grabs him and he says, don't cling to me. And he's not saying like, get off of me. He's saying, I'm not going to be here forever. And I don't want you to think that this is this great reunification that now is just, we're going to kind of hang out now forever. But I want you to go tell my brothers that I have, that I've risen. I want you to go tell them and say to them that, that I am ascending. One of the interesting things um, about this account, about this story that John writes that, that many scholars have noted, one of the things that's very interesting is if, if you were just going to make up, and some of you have heard this, if, if you've ever taken any uh, Bible classes around things like this, and some of you maybe have never heard anything like this and really even wonder, how, how can we trust this? How do we know that this is even true? 
One of the things that scholars will point out is the fact that if you were just going to make something up, if you were just going to create a story and you wanted to gain a following, you would never, at this time when this was written, you would never have had a woman be the person that was the first to encounter this and the one that is an eyewitness to this happening. Because in the first century, women's testimony weren't even counted. And we think there's sexism today. I mean, obviously, a couple thousand years ago, there was a lot, right? And so people say, man, if you were just going to invent something, you wouldn't, you wouldn't put this in here. There'd be no reason to put it in there. People would have heard it and go, well, why, who would believe that? That's a woman saying that. So the only reason you would put that in there is if it actually happened. You wouldn't put that in there if you were just trying to invent something. So just an interesting side note of part of how we can trust that this is an eyewitness account that actually took place. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So she goes and she tells the rest of them, I've seen him. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So they're all huddled in a room with the doors locked because they killed Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. They're worried that they might come to get them. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So he shows them where he was crucified and where the spear went in. And they're glad that they saw him. Seems like an understatement, but they're glad. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is really the part that I want to focus in on. That Jesus resurrects and he comes to his disciples and he has something to say to them. Jesus comes alive. He's a, he, he dies on the cross. He comes alive. He goes to his disciples. And now what is it that he says to them? And here's what he says. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So what does this mean for us? And let's talk about this idea of sending And Jesus says that the fact that he's alive means now that he is sending his disciples. The fact that Jesus is alive, the significance of that in this moment when he comes to them and he wants them to know, hey, I'm alive, and he tells them, so I've got something I want to say to you. It's, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And so what is this idea of being sent mean. And, and let's start with this. If, if you are, as, as, as many of you are, just are a disciple of Jesus, if you're a Christian, this applies to us as well, that he sends us. But why? Why does he send us? Jesus, the first thing he says to them when he comes back is, the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. But why does he do that? Why does he send them And really, you see it in in what he says here of the message, the content that he wants them to speak. He says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then he says, and when here's the content you're going to speak, forgiveness. What you're going to tell people about is forgiveness. 
what you're going to talk to them about. We, we talked about this last week when Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, which means so many things, but a big piece of what it means is that everything is forgiven, that all sins have been dealt with on the cross. And so the message that Jesus gives to them when he sends them out is something very particular. And it's interesting because... Um, my wife and I went to, uh, I can't remember, it wasn't this year, it was last year, uh, one of the places at the Denver Performing Arts, I can't remember um, what, what theater it was, the Buell Theater or one of them, they did this uh, great play, it was this rock and roll play, I don't know if some of you saw it maybe, um, and it was about the, the 12 disciples in, in the room, this locked room, kind of wondering, okay, Jesus is dead, what now? And at the very end of it, Mary comes in, and some of them, uh, others come in, and they, they kind of have this idea, I think maybe Jesus is alive. And that's kind of the end number. And here's, what, here's how it ends. And so they're really excited, and, they're, and it's this like rock and roll thing, and they're, Jesus is alive. And what they say, the ending number is this, let's rise up, let's get out of this room. This isn't the exact quote, but let's rise up, let's get out of this room, and let's tell people to be loving to each other. That's the big message. But that's not what Jesus said. See, Jesus says, I'm alive, and I'm going to send you, and there's a reason that I'm going to send you, and I want you to speak something. I want you to say something, and it's not, I want you to tell everybody to love their neighbor. And it's not, I want you to tell everybody to turn the other cheek, as important as both those things are. And it's not, I want, you to, I want you to say this or say that or repeat some of my teaching that I've given. That's not what it is. Jesus has a very particular thing that he sends them out to do. And he says, I want you to tell people that they can have forgiveness. I want you to tell people that they can be forgiven because of what I've done. Why does Jesus send us? Why did he send them? But today, why does he send us? And you know what it is? It's forgiveness, which means this. Jesus looks at our lives. Jesus looks at us, and he looks at really everybody, and he, he looks and he says, I know, I know there's something deep inside of you that longs for forgiveness, even if you don't know that that's what it is. See, Jesus knows something about us. Jesus looks at our lives and he sees that even if we don't know this, that the deepest need we have is forgiveness. You know where this shows up? If, if you look at your life and you've ever tried to prove yourself, ever tried to prove yourself, maybe, maybe to somebody else, but maybe just to yourself, you're trying to live in such a way that, that the verdict on your life is I'm okay. Trying to live in such a way that the verdict on your life is, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm a good person, or I've, I've lived in a good way, and my life matters in some way. If you've ever tried to prove yourself in some way, you may not even know this, but that's a longing for forgiveness because it's a longing to experience a verdict over your life that is, you're okay. You're good. You're clear. And maybe another way is a little bit of a different angle is those longings in our heart for fulfillment 
and for satisfaction and for other people's approval and to find in life a sense of joy and depth of meaning, all of those, even if we don't know it, are a longing to experience the results of forgiveness, which is a total acceptance. Because what happens when you're forgiven? What, what, what happens when you experience forgiveness from Jesus is this absolute acceptance. See, even those different things that we talk about or wrestle with of, I've got low self-esteem, or I feel this, or I feel that, and I'm down on myself, and all of those things, even if we don't recognize it, are longings to experience forgiveness. Longings to experience, I'm okay, and I'm accepted. And I'm loved. And so Jesus wants that for people. Jesus wants people to know and experience a depth of forgiveness. See, what's interesting is in modern thinking today, a lot of times, um, there's a lot of talk against guilt. And so people say, man, if you feel guilt, don't feel guilt. You shouldn't feel guilty about yourself. You shouldn't, don't feel guilt. You're great. And Jesus says, the opposite, really. What Jesus says is there is a guilt that you have, but instead of just trying to talk yourself out of it, instead of just trying to look in the mirror and tell yourself, no, you're fine, instead of that, he says, I offer something better to you. I offer you actually to be able to experience forgiveness. That you don't have to deny that there's something wrong with you. You don't have to deny any problems that may be there. You can actually go, man, I'm, I messed up. I got a lot of things wrong with me, and I don't have to talk myself out of it. Instead, I can have forgiveness. Instead, I can have the God of the universe say, that's gone. I don't look at you that way. You're cleared. So what does Jesus send them out to say? He sends them out to talk about forgiveness because that's what Jesus wants us to to experience. So much of what we talked about last week was similar to this idea. What Jesus wants for us is to experience forgiveness. He wants more for us than to live our lives trying to prove ourselves and earn something and get in God's good graces. He wants us to know and experience forgiveness. It's even uh, John tells us earlier in the book, in one of the most kind of famous verses in the Bible, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world. Then the verse after that says, he did not come into the world to condemn the world. You see, Jesus didn't show up into the world saying, okay, guess what? Everybody that's been bad, time to pay. No, instead what Jesus does is he shows up and he says, I want to forgive people. I want to bring life to people. I don't come to bring judgment to people. I come to bring grace and forgiveness and life. That's Why does he send us out? Because that's Jesus' heart towards us. That's his heart towards people in our city. That's his heart towards you. I was talking to somebody last week that as I talked about the cross and Jesus saying on the cross that it's finished, that said that idea of forgiveness is what and they've been longing for and hoping for. And you may not even know it. 
You may not even know that that is one of the deepest longings in our hearts. But all those other drives and all those other pursuits, underneath them, Jesus knows that what we need is to experience forgiveness. That that's what we long for. That's what we need. Why does he send us out? Why did he send them out? Because he wants people to know that. That's why the gospel means good news, that we can be forgiven. But what does this look like? What does it mean to be sent? Jesus says, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out, and, I, and I'm doing this because I want people to experience forgiveness. But what does it mean to actually be sent? Or, or another way to talk about that is, okay, so Jesus wants people to experience forgiveness, but how does somebody move from here to there? If Jesus wants people to experience forgiveness and grace and life and that deep longing that we don't even know is actually what's underneath driving so much, if that's what Jesus wants, how do we move from here to there? And you know what's interesting is Jesus says something very different from how a lot of times in the church we can think. Because a lot of times what, what we think, and maybe not you, but at least me, but I've prayed with many people, and so I hear this come out, that we pray something like this. You think about people in your life, and you go, man, if this person could experience that, that would be amazing. If this person could experience forgiveness and grace and acceptance, if they could experience that, that would be amazing. Or we just think about our city and go, man, if, if people out there could know about Jesus' love and his grace and his acceptance and his forgiveness, that would be amazing. And so what happens? So a lot of times what we do is we pray, God, pray that those people would come. Pray that they would come to you. Have you ever prayed that someone would come to Jesus? Have you ever prayed that, uh, for those of you that are Christians, have you ever prayed that someone would come even here into this building, into church. Have you ever prayed that someone would come? That's not bad. I'm not saying don't do that, but Jesus says something really different, right? Because Jesus doesn't say, man, there's people out there that need forgiveness. Pray that you would bring them. I pray that they would come. His strategy for someone moving from this to that is very different. What Jesus says is, I'm sending you. I'm not praying that anybody comes. I'm not, I'm not praying that anyone comes to me. I'm not praying that, I'm, I'm not asking other people to take a step towards me. You see how amazing that is of Jesus? That what Jesus prays is for his disciples, and, what Je and Jesus prayed this earlier, we looked at it in John 17, but in this chapter, what Jesus says when he shows up, he doesn't get the disciples together and say, guys, I'm alive. Now let's pray that people come and experience forgiveness. It's not what he does, right? You don't see a prayer meeting happen. You don't see them get together and go, let's hope that other people out there that need forgiveness will come in here. That's not what he does. He says, guys, I'm alive. And I'm sending you now to those people that I want so deeply to experience my grace and my forgiveness. That's what Jesus says. What does it mean to be sent First of all, what it means is that we are sent. First of all, what it means is that there's a responsibility that Jesus gives to those of us that know him. And he says, I love people so much out there. 
And I love them so much that I'm not waiting for them to come to me. I want so much for people to experience grace and forgiveness and joy in their lives that I'm not just hoping that they'll come to me, but I'm sending you to them. You see, when Jesus came here to this earth, he had a mission. That was his mission. That was his mission that he had. That's, that's why he says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. You know, when Jesus came here, he was sent to do this. He was sent to bring grace and forgiveness and life to people. That's what he came to do. And he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Jesus, in this statement, is saying, look at my life. And that's what we've been doing through this book. He says, look at my life. Look how I was sent. Look how everything I, and, and all through, you know, I can't obviously preach through the whole book right now, but if you read through the whole book, Jesus is saying, look at my life. Look how I was sent. How everything I did was with a purpose. How everything I did was, was with intentionality. How I reached out to people. How I took steps towards people. How I brought grace towards people. How I talked with people. How I loved people. How I went to them. Jesus says, look how I was sent by God to you. And now I'm giving you that same mission. You know, that's where we get the word mission from. The word mission. Mission. It's from a Latin word, missio, which means sent. And so even when you talk about in the church people that are missionaries, it means people that are sent Aries. That's what it means. I mean, that's a loose translation. I don't know if centary is a word, but it means people that are sent. And what Jesus is saying here is that anyone that he has been sent to is now sent to others. And as Christians, we're people that have had Jesus sent to us, and then he gives us the same calling to say, now I want other people to know about this. I want other people to experience this forgiveness and this grace. So what does it mean to be sent? First of all, it means this. It means that we have a mission. That's what the word sent means. Just as Jesus did. It means that our lives actually have a mission because Jesus cares about people. And secondly, it means that we build our life around that. Have you ever built your life around something? Um, some of you are really into fitness. Um, I'm not. Some of you are <laughs> really into fitness. And maybe you were going to run a marathon or you were going to uh, do something. And, and you built your life, at least for a season around that, the way you ate and the way you slept and the kind of shoes you bought and the kind of, I mean, just everything was built around this particular goal, right? Uh, I've done an intense diet before to heal myself of my uh, gluten allergy, not because I wanted to be healthy, but because I wanted to drink beer and eat donuts. And so um, a lot of my life was built around that. I'm not joking. A lot of my life was built around that of I can eat this and I can hang out even with these kinds of people that eat like me so that we can eat in our misery together. And um, just a lot of what I did was built around that. Another sad example in some ways um, for me of a way I've built my life is when Sarah and I first got married, we did not have a TV. 
We didn't have a TV for four years. And I love movies. I'm a big, big movie person. But I didn't just want to buy a cheap TV. I wanted a nice, big, large, grand TV for good movies like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and, and those on extended edition. I wanted that. Okay? And uh, you can't watch that on a laptop. That's a sin. Okay? So I wanted... Um, it's the 11th commandment. I wanted a large TV to watch those things on. And so I built my life around that for several years, which meant grandma gives me $5 for my birthday. That goes in the TV fund. It means I... I hope no one's listening to this. It means, you know, someone buys me a Christmas gift I don't want. It gets returned to Costco, and I get a $100 Costco gift card, and that goes in the, the TV fund. And just for four or five years, saved up enough money to be able to buy a TV and built so much around that. What does it mean to be a missionary? It means, first, that we have a mission. What does it mean to be sent it means that we have a mission. But second, it means that what that means is you build your life around that. That's what it means. It means your life is actually... When Jesus, when Jesus came and he said, guys, I'm alive. I'm sending you. He didn't mean, okay, so I want you to have this as a side hobby. He said, no, for, I'm, now I'm sending you. This is what I want your life to be built around. Because that's what Jesus' life was built around, right? When Jesus came here, his life was built around him wanting people to experience grace and forgiveness and love from him. And he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. What does it mean to be sent? It means we have a mission, and it means we build our life around that. One of the most, one of the most helpful ways that I've... Um, seen to kind of think about what does that actually mean? What does it actually look like to build our life around that? Is for those of you that are familiar with missionaries that go overseas into another country, and we tend to think those are the people, you know, those are the ones that are missionaries. Those are the ones that build their life around that. And what does that look like? If, uh, if a group of people were going to go over to India or to China or Japan, and, and we're going to go be missionaries over there, what would it look like? Well, they would, they would, most of them would, I mean, they wouldn't be pastors, preachers. They would, they would be normal people that get jobs, but they would be building their life around the fact that they are on a mission. And Jesus is saying, that's not a special group of people. That's, that's my disciples. That's all of you that have received the fact that I'm alive. And so there's this helpful book that kind of gives some questions for us to think about of what does that look like? And I just want you to think through these questions. I'll post this on our uh, Facebook group for those of you that are in that. And these are just questions that missionaries would think through, that people that are building their life around a mission would think through. They would think through what criteria would you use to decide where to live, right? Wouldn't somebody that has a mission is building their life around that go, okay, where am I going to live? But, yeah, I'll say that in a second. My butt will come in a second. How, how would you approach employment? If you were saying, I'm going to build my life around being on the mission that Jesus has given to me, how would that affect what you do with work? It doesn't mean everybody would get my job. It doesn't mean that everyone would say, okay, we're all going to be pastors, because that would just be freaky. But it means that we would think about how that would affect work. 
What would you spend your time doing? If you build your life around something, you have to think about, what would I spend my time doing? What opportunities would you be looking for? What would your prayers be like? If we're building our life around something, what would our prayers actually look like? You know part of how you can know what your life is built around right now? What are your prayers about? That often gives a good indication of what your life is currently built around and what you spend your time doing. What, what would you be trying to do with your new friends? People that you meet as you move to this other country and what kind of team would you want around you? See, all of these questions are questions that people that would go to another country, they would think through these kinds of things. There'd be another list of questions if we were going to say, okay, we're all going to run a marathon, right? We're all going to run a marathon. What kinds of questions do we need to ask? Well, we'd probably say, okay, what does our diet need to look like? What are we going to spend our time doing? Who, who do we want around us? Who are we going to do it with? What marathon do we want to run? What music do we want to train to, right? We would ask ourselves questions. If none of those questions are the questions, I haven't run a marathon. So you're like, that's not the kind of questions. Okay, but there's some set of questions that you ask yourself. But if you're building your life around being on the mission that Jesus has to have people know forgiveness and know that the deep longing in their heart can actually be met, that they can actually experience grace, that they can actually experience his love, if that's what we're building our life around, these are the kinds of questions we would ask. So what are the answers to those for you? What are the answers to those? Have you asked yourself these kinds of questions? For those of you that are not Christians or are still unsure what you believe, what I want you to see here is this. This is how intentional Jesus is about loving you. That he wants people to think through this. This isn't what he wants you to think through. He just wants you to know, man, look how much I care about you. Look how much I want you to experience my grace and forgiveness that I want my people to build their lives around this. So what would the answers to these questions be? You know, you know what this shows? It shows a deep intentionality, right? It shows that we're, we're not just saying, Jesus is alive, he died on the cross, that's nice, now I'm going to go about my life, and wherever it can fit in, I'll fit it in. Jesus is saying, I want you to start with I want you to start with the fact that I'm sending you. And everything else is a puzzle piece that fits into that. Not, I want you to build your life and one of the puzzle pieces is how you relate with me and, and my mission to have people experience my grace. Do you know how different that is? That it, it's not just, if you think about building a puzzle, what do you do? You start with the picture Okay, for those of you over 50, what do you do when you're building puzzles? You start with the picture. Okay, I've built some puzzles. I like them. When you're, when you're building puzzles, you start with the picture. And you look at it and go, that's what it's supposed to look like. And all the pieces are going to fit in it according to that. You don't start with a puzzle piece and go, I like this one. And then where does this one fit in relation to that one? That's not what you do. Jesus is saying, I want you to start with the picture. I want you to start with the picture that I'm sending you and fit all the other pieces of your life into that. There's an intentionality that Jesus has that he wants us to have because he deeply cares about people. Who in your life has Jesus sent you to? 
Who in your life is Jesus sending you to? Who in your life do you want to experience the grace and the forgiveness and the acceptance that Jesus said he came to bring, the life and the joy, all the things we've looked at through this book? Who in your life do you want to experience that? What Jesus would say is this, don't pray that they come. Go to them. That's very different. It's very different. There's an intentionality. Here's the the truth. Jesus is alive. For, For those of you that are Christians in this room, Jesus is alive. And he's king. And he died on the cross. And then he came back to life. And he gathered his people together. And he says, I'm sending you now. I mean, if that's true, which, which it is, if that's true, I mean, just, I know we go about our lives and man, there's so many other things and Jesus isn't physically here, standing here, so it can be so difficult to, but man, just think, if, if Jesus actually is king and he's actually alive and he actually really wants people to know him and experience the depth of joy that he brings that comes through forgiveness, he looks at us and he says, I'm sending you. I want people to know this. This is a key. This is a key to the Christian life. I have found that those that take this seriously, that those that say, okay, Jesus, I'm going I'm I'm to build my life. I have found that those that take this seriously, faith, the whole kind of Christian faith thing, it begins to click. Because sometimes we feel like, man, I don't, it's hard for me to pray. It's hard for me to read the Bible. It's, it's hard for me to experience God's presence. It's hard for me to experience joy. Uh, it's hard for me to really get the Holy Spirit. Or it's hard for me to... What I've found is that when people go, I'm actually going to take this seriously, everything clicks. Because you go, I've got to read the Bible. I've got to know. I've, I've got to pray. I've got to... I mean, you can't live a kind of life like that that... Faith doesn't become an absolute necessity. One of the keys in the Christian life of having all the different pieces come together and click is actually taking Jesus seriously and saying, okay, I'll build my life around what you say to build it around. And then so many of the pieces fall into place. I've never known somebody. I've never known somebody. And maybe there's somebody out there But I've never known somebody that has said, I'm going to really build my life like this. That has then said, "Uh, gave it a shot, I really regret it. Some of you chuckle because you're like, yeah, that wouldn't happen. But I've known many people that struggle with various aspects of faith clicking. And this is one of the keys that unlocks just the flow of what Jesus wants us to experience and live in. Finally, how can we be sent in this way? Because maybe even as you hear this, and I know when the disciples heard it, there's some fear. You know, Jesus says twice, peace, <laughs> you know. And some of that's probably because they're like, this dude's a ghost, right? But some of it is because about what he's about to say to them. So, you know, when someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, got something really hard to tell you, just get ready, sit down. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. He says, peace, and then he says it again. He says, peace. Here I am, look at my hands. And then he's like, okay, I'm about to tell you that you're going to be sent. So peace be with you. And earlier 
in John chapter 14 when Jesus taught on this. And he says, hey, I'm going to leave one day and you're going to be in the world and I'm going to have something I want you to do, but I'm going to give you peace. Because as we hear this, it can kind of be like, oh, that's kind of scary and that's kind of intimidating. And, and how can we be sent in this way when it, it, does, it does kind of conjure up in us some emotion of intimidation or just this fear factor? Well, it's in the verse. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. But then he also says, says he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And you know what that's saying there? It's saying he wants us to know you are not alone. I am with you in this. You are not alone. I am giving you power. I'm giving you, I'm moving in your heart. I'm actually dwelling with you. I'm not just saying, hey, be sent and have fun. Hope it goes okay. He's saying, I, in, you know, when Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to the disciples, it's connected to this. Because sometimes even people go, man, I don't feel God's presence. And there's this great verse in Matthew where Jesus says, I will always be with you. And sometimes people go, well, I don't feel him being with me. But that's connected again to Jesus saying, as I send you, I will always be with you. Jesus says, how, how can we be sent in this way? He knows what we need is to have an experience of him actually dwelling with us in the Holy Spirit, of him actually giving us power in the Holy Spirit, of him actually being a part of what we're doing. He doesn't send us alone. He doesn't send us by ourselves. He doesn't send us with our own. Because here's what happens, okay? If you start to think through those questions, and you go, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And I don't know how to say this. And I don't know how to answer this. And how does it work here? And what am I? Jesus goes, yep, yep. Those are all questions. But guess what? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not asking you to do this by yourself. I'm not asking you to be on some sort of mission and just report back in a you know, few decades how it goes. I'm saying, I'm with you. And I'm giving you power to do this. Why would he do that? Because again, Jesus so wants people to know his grace and forgiveness that he doesn't even leave us alone to our own devices to do it. He says, I'm... It's, in some ways, he's like, I don't actually trust you to do this by yourself, so I'm going to be with you, you know? And that's encouraging because he says, I have something I want you to do. I want you to let people know that they can experience grace and forgiveness and compassion and mercy, and I'm going to be with you as you do this. What does it mean what does it mean that we have the Holy Spirit? What does it mean when Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit? It means he's with us. It means we trust him then to go where he calls us to go, even when we don't have all the answers. And it means we pray. Because if Jesus is saying, I'm with you, then we know that as we go to what he's sent us to do, that he is actually there with us through the Holy Spirit so we can pray and we can talk to him and we can say, help me right now as I do this. Help me, I need wisdom, I need love for this person, I, I, need, I, need, I need help. We pray, and it means this. It means we should expect. It means that we should, if, if we have the Holy Spirit, how, how can we be sent in this way? It's that we have the Holy Spirit, and here's what that means. It means we should expect that what Jesus said will happen, will happen. 
Because a lot of times, I think what happens is this. We go, okay, Jesus is sending me to go do this, but I don't know if anything's going to work. I don't know if this is going to happen. I have people that I love that I want to know Jesus' grace and his forgiveness and how much he cares for them, but I don't know. If... But Jesus seemed to think sending us with the Holy Spirit with a message that people can be forgiven, that stuff would actually happen, that people would actually experience forgiveness, that people would actually experience grace. And a lot of times, before we even start, we have a self-fulfilling prophecy of nothing's going to work, nothing's going to happen. It's like if you've ever tried to exercise or start some big project, and you, you're kind of like, well, you know, I'm probably not going to, you know, maybe you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to get buff or whatever, and you're like, well, it's probably not going to happen anyway, but I guess I'll pick up this dumbbell. Okay, well, see, it didn't work, you know, and it's like, well, I mean, there's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy there. But Jesus didn't say, guys, I'm going to send you. I really don't know if it's going to work. I'm going to send you. I really want people to experience forgiveness. I really don't know if it's going to happen, but let's give it a shot. What do we got to lose? I came back from the dead, you know? And he says, no, I'm sending you to go do this. And seems to be there's an expectation that people will actually experience how much he loves them and how good he is and how much he wants grace for them. Is, is that, if you're a Christian, is that your expectation It should be, because Jesus says, I will be with you. I will give you power. I will give you love. I will give you wisdom. I will follow. I will, you will be following me, and I will be dwelling with you every step of the way. And if you build your life around this, we should expect to see that people are experiencing how much Jesus loves them and how gracious he is towards them. So, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Jesus died. He died on the cross and said, it is finished. And when we take communion, that's what we remember, that Jesus had his body broken. He had his blood shed to say, I forgive. And then he resurrected. And what significance does that have now for us? Is it just that we look back and go, man, he's alive. That's kind of cool. No, it's that he says, and now, because I'm alive, my mission continues through you. That I want more people to know that I forgive them. I want more people to experience the grace that we also desperately need. So when we take communion, we remember that Jesus died for us and forgives us, and that he resurrected and that he now sends us to bring that same love and grace, that message to other people. You know, John said this in chapter 3, and I mentioned it earlier, for God so loved the world that what? That he sent his only son. God so loved us, you, that he sent Jesus to you, and God so loved us, that he sent someone, if you're a Christian, he sent somebody to you. And he's now sending us to others. We can even tweak that verse to say, God so loves this city that he sent us. Because God really cares about people. He so loves them and wants them to know that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to us. Thank you that you didn't ask us to come to you. You didn't ask us to come to you, but instead you came to us. 
God, I thank you for that. I thank you that you are a God that takes the steps towards us. I thank you that you are a God that moves towards people that are far from you. That you don't look at people that are far from you and condemn them. You look at people that are far from you and move towards them with good will in your heart. I thank you for that truth because it's one that I desperately need and it's one that every person in here desperately needs. And I pray that we would believe that even at a deeper level, that you were sent to us and you so loved us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that reflects that heart to the people around us, that we would take seriously and lovingly and passionately the mission that you've given to us to help other people know how much you care about them and love them and want forgiveness for them. So I pray, help us even now as we sing to have these truths go deeper into our hearts and, Lord, as we just reflect back to you how good you are through these words.